We're going to look at uh, chapter 7 today, of Matthew chapter 7, to explore, like I said, this question of who are we choosing? So if you've got a Bible, open it up there. Uh, We're at this transition point as we start this chapter now. So Jesus is moving on to explore the dynamics um, of what it is to be a community of his followers, where we help each other grow and where we follow him together. So Jesus has no vision that we can live this life of righteousness, that we can seek his kingdom, that we can love our neighbor on our own, by ourselves. He envisions that we are necessary and helpful to one another. But he also seems to recognize that this can sometimes get a bit complicated. So let's have a look. We're going to read um, verses 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Well, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take out the log of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is a really well-known bit of Jesus' teaching, isn't it? I'm sure many of you sitting here will be familiar with these words. But my prayer is today that as we stop and we reflect on this, as we will see and we will have even more revealed to us like the wisdom and the brilliance that is contained within this teaching. So first of all, let's recognize that Jesus is going for the laugh here. Like he's being intentionally comical and not one of us laughs. So I feel like we might not have been a good audience for him. But um, he's creating this like intentionally funny, obviously not literal picture. And so without wanting to expand the obvious, um, it's this image. Here we go. Dude, you've got a speck in your eye. Like it's ridiculous. If that was an, our actual reality, the idea that we think we would be best placed to remove a little splinter from someone else when we have a massive log, like we would never do that, would we? Ever. That's ridiculous. But Jesus is saying there is something that is going on within that actually reflects that ridiculousness. There is something going on within that he's addressing here. And so what we find here is Jesus talking about a way that we go about bringing correction to other followers of Jesus around us. So the term brothers here, um, so we looked at the ESV translation just then, which uses brothers. It's actually a gender neutral term that means another disciple in the community of disciples. So you might have brothers and sisters in your translations. And so Jesus is placing this teaching within the context of people that we are in relationship with who are also following the ways of Jesus. So there's a specific context he's talking in here. And Jesus is drawing our attention to something that has very little to do with the person that we're bringing correction to. And it's got very little to do with what they've done. And it is everything to do with how we approach them. Do we see that? It's not to do with that person. It's not to do with what they've done. This is about us. This is about something about us here. And I'd like us to read actually this, um, these same verses again in the Amplified Version. Um, And that's a translation that gives us um, kind of more possible English words that can be used to give us a fuller meaning of what Jesus is, is saying. And I think it's going to help shape a particular aspect for us to go after today. It's a little bit clunky in how I read it, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping you'll follow. Do not judge and criticize and condemn others unfairly with an attitude of self-righteous superiority as though assuming the office of a judge so that you will not be judged unfairly. For just as you hypocritically judge others when you are sinful and unrepentant, so will you be judged. 
and in accordance with your standard of measure used to pass out judgment, judgment will be measured to you. Why do you look at the insignificant speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice and acknowledge the egregious log, the, the appalling log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me get the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, you play actor, pretender, first get the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I'll be honest, this feels like a bit of a punch in the gut to me. Like, man, this, this hits home for me. Um, and I want us to think first of all just about this word judge, just the word, the word judge. To judge is simply a decision. That's all it is. It's a decision to survey options, to distinguish between things, and to choose, to make a choice. And Jesus is clearly not saying that we should get rid of our moral compass as we make decisions about our life. Like, there's no way that we can deal with anger, with truthfulness, with integrity, with lust, with everything that he's been talking about in chapters 5 and 6 so far, if we're not growing in our ability to make moral judgments and to discern between what is good and what is wrong, and to discern between what is good and what is best. Judgment is needed there. We can see that, can't we? And Jesus expects us to grow in that kind of judgment. And actually, there's a, there's a puzzling sentence immediately um, following what we've read. So it's, it's verse 6. It's not going to be on the screen. But Jesus is talking about not giving uh, dogs what is holy and not throwing our pearls before pigs. It's a really puzzling verse, I think. And this is really only the briefest of contributions on what I think that could mean. And and there's a whole school of thought out there that's all different. But I wonder whether the main point that Jesus is making is that when we have something of great value to us, we need to use wisdom and discernment in knowing how we share it with others around us, recognizing that not everyone will perceive as valuable what we treasure. It doesn't necessarily have the same worth. And so we need to use our judgment in order to navigate those kind of situations. But prior to this, the bit that we have focused on, Jesus is is clearly addressing a certain kind of judgment and a certain way of judging that isn't okay and that isn't applying godly wisdom. And I think that Amplified Translation makes that oh so clear for me. Self-righteous superiority whilst we remain unrepentant. Self-righteous superiority whilst we remain unrepentant. So let's ask ourselves in in the expansion um, of this meaning of the word judge, like how do we approach one another in addressing shortcomings? Is there a self-righteous superiority that is present in our hearts, that's present in our motivation and that's present in who we are displaying, we are choosing as we address what we see in one another? Jesus, I think, is shining a light on a type of correction that is driven um, by a posture of arrogance towards others and ignorance towards ourselves. He's shining a light on a type of correction um, that reveals a choice that we are making of preferring our own self and protecting our own self-righteousness, for whatever reason that may be, rather than operating out of humility and compassion and love as we choose one another because of the choice we have made to follow the ways of Jesus. And notice that after Jesus instructs us to do not judge or criticize or condemn, he follows it up with that question that paints this ridiculous picture. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother and sister's eye? yet you ignore the log that's in your own. 
Like, have you ever wondered why he asked that question at this point? How does he know it's there? I think it's because Jesus understands what this kind of judgment um, from one human to another is and what it involves. And as I read these verses, I wonder whether judging others with this self-righteous superiority is the log. Jesus knows that the mere act of judging in this way means that our heart is, hasn't got the kingdom rightness that he's been talking about all along so far. And this kind of judgment, and, and it so often isn't that in isolation, it has its friends that come along of contempt and of anger and of blame and of condemnation. It blinds us to the reality of another person. We cannot see clearly how to assist our brother or our sister because we cannot see them when we come with that kind of motivation and attitude and heart and choice. We can't see them because we're so blinded by our own selves. And that kind of judgment, like it, it creates distance. It creates a line. And that line, it could be better than, more righteous than, smarter than. It creates an us and it creates a them. I am right, I am justified, you are wrong. Moreover, Jesus is on my side. How often, that's where we land, isn't it? If we're truly honest with ourselves, Jesus is on my team, not yours. What nonsense. And if we then move towards one another with that kind of heart and that kind of motivation and that kind of choice, what we will create is an encounter that is destructive and counterproductive instead of healing and instead of helpful. So how do we bring healthy correction then? Because let's be clear, Jesus is not implying that we need to be perfect before we can talk to someone else about what's going on in their life and what we can see. He tells us to remove our own log so that we can help our brother or sister with the clear implication that we will be having these harder conversations and we will be moving towards one another in this way. But only when we've done some serious self-reflection, which moves us to go into the heart of the gospel for ourselves and be changed and transformed. So Jesus isn't asking us to suspend um, our, our critical faculty, our critical, critical thinking. He's asking us to suspend coming to one another with a critical spirit. They're two different things. And let me give you an illustration of that. And this is an illustration I've given before, um, a couple of years ago, I think, maybe, but in that two years, the situation hasn't changed at all. And it's about the dentist. I have a dentist called Kieran. He's excellent. But every time I go and see him, was it in February? Probably about February we went. He says the same thing to me every time. Emma, I see that you are still not flossing in between your bottom teeth. You know that your bottom teeth are too close together. And so just brushing them doesn't clean effectively and plaque is growing there. So once again, we're going to... He didn't say it with this amount of attitude, actually, to be fair. Um, no sass involved. He's very kind in his, in his manner. Um, but he's saying, so, so again, we're going to need to do the same cleaning again because you've, you've not, changed your, not changed your dental hygiene practice. And so, and I hate the feeling of flossing. Ah, oh, it genuinely sends a shiver through my spine. That's neither here nor there. And so, Kieran, he's, um, he's clearly judging like the state of my teeth and my gums and my practice of dental hygiene. He's, he is saying and discerning and seeing what it is. That's his business. He's clearly not condemning me or my teeth, is he? 
two separate things. And so to apply it to our context, like we do not have to, and in fact, we cannot surrender the very valid practice of, of discerning and distinguishing how things are in order to avoid Jesus' instruction of judge not. We're missing it if that's where we land. So Jesus isn't talking about um, judging in the sense of looking at someone's behavior, weighing it in the, uh, in, in the light of our own moral compass that has been formed and shaped and continually formed by the ways of Jesus and saying to someone, do you know what? I don't, I don't think you're making the right call there. I don't think that's okay. I don't think that choice is right. That's not what he's talking about. I think Paul gives us um, a helpful commentary on how we are to approach one another in the light of Jesus' words here. Um, And so let's have a look at what he wrote to the Galatians. We're just going to look at the first verse of chapter 6, again in the Amplified Version. Um, Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any sin, you who are spiritual, that is you who are responsive to the guidance of the Spirit, are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, not with a sense of superiority or self-righteousness. There are those words again, keeping a watchful eye on yourself so that you are not tempted as well. So we see here who are the ones who are to be bringing correction. And we're going to have a little um, illustration that's going to come on our screen. So those who are responsive to the guidance of the Spirit. Okay, here's, here's our person. This can be each one of us. So those that are responsive to the guidance of the Spirit. And what, so what does that mean? For me, it in, it, it's not exclusive to these two things, but it, it does include these two things. The first is, is that we are intentional about our own personal journey of sanctification and holiness, and we take that seriously. In 2 Corinthians, Paul reminds us that we are all to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day, where all of our decisions and our choices and our motivations and our ways of relating to people, they are all laid before him, and we need to give them an account. I find that really sobering, and I take it really seriously. To be bringing correction to a brother or sister whilst living a life um, which overlooks our, or is indifferent maybe to our own lifestyle and our own choices would be really hypocritical, wouldn't it? And secondly, I think this responsiveness includes us being people who are intentional about asking the Holy Spirit and asking trusted others around us to help us see our blind spots. We all have things that others see in us that we don't see about ourselves, that we're blind to. So our behavior, our decision-making, our way of conducting relationships, the way people experience us. Let's be people who are curious enough about ourselves and are brave enough to seek out those blind spots with intention, being willing to be challenged, being willing to learn, to grow, and to be changed. So who are the people in our lives that we can have those kinds of conversations with? Who are those people that we trust and we know are honest enough in return with us that will, that will tell us those things, that will help us see those blind spots. And what does Paul say the purpose of the correction is? To restore a person with a spirit of gentleness. So we are to move towards one another with gentleness, with the goal of restoring that person. So the correcting to be, correcting to be done, it's not a matter of, um, of straightening them out or hammering on their wrongdoing. Um, But it also isn't about ignoring where actually boundaries may need to change with that relationship. It's depending on what's happened. And it also doesn't mean that we have any kind of control or say in what that person does with what we're bringing to them or how they view their behavior or what their future future choices are. None of that is to do with us. That's not our part. 
As far as it's upon us, we get to approach one another with gentleness, with the goal of restoring dignity, of restoring worth, and of restoring value. You can just press the next one, Dan. Thank you. And we can do that because we choose Jesus and we choose to trust that all he did on the cross is enough for us to be able to partner with him in this kind of restoration work. Even in the face of perhaps our own pain, our own confusion or our own indignation or what that person's behavior is. And notice that Paul makes it clear that the one who is restoring another must remember that actually they themselves could be that person that is doing the very same thing. And that should totally remove any sense of self-righteous superiority. Um, A guy called Tom Long, he's written a commentary on Matthew. And he says that as we recognize this, we move from harsh judgment to a tender concern to help the neighbor. Instead of a finger poked in the neighbor's face, we reach out mercifully to wipe the neighbor's eye. We reach out mercifully to wipe the neighbor's eye. A compassion and a mercy that is motivated by love as we choose one another. And one of the most beautiful examples of this that we can find is Jesus interacting with this woman caught in adultery who is brought before Jesus by the Pharisees for judgment. We we can read this account in John 8. And in our Matthew 7 passage, like Jesus is being intentionally funny He's using exaggeration to make his point. But as he shows us what it means to live this out, there's nothing funny here now because a woman's life is at stake. And his response to the Pharisees is full of wisdom. You who have no sin, cast the first stone. And as the Pharisees slipped away one by one, and it was just Jesus and the woman left in the middle of the crowd, he turned to her and he said, where are your accusers? Didn't one of them condemn you? She said, no, Lord. He said, neither do I, go and sin no more. Neither do I, go and sin no more. It's what Ian said, mercy triumphs over judgment. So this response reminds us that it is only Jesus who can judge. It's only him, not one of us, it's Jesus. And it reveals the true meaning of divine mercy, which leaves open the possibility for repentance and emphasizes the great respect and dignity of the person, which even sin can't take away. He doesn't ignore her sin, but he deals with her with grace and with mercy and compassion as he restores her dignity and humanity. And so when we look at our brothers and sisters, when we look at one another, And if we discern something we think we can help them in, we need to have an equal focus, Jesus, that far from condemning me, far from condemning us, he died for us and is right now intervening on our behalf. And so bringing correction to one another, having those harder work conversations with one another, gosh, that is something we must do. We must do in our church family. We are together. We're here to help one another But as we do this, we must have an equal focus, Jesus. And it is from that place of us choosing Jesus first that we get to choose one another as we release kindness, compassion, dignity, respect and love that we have received from Jesus. And so I want us to move into into communion because I think there's no better way of remembering what Jesus has done for us than than by taking the bread and the wine that isn't whatever that is in those little things. Um, But before we do, there's just, (laughs) 
before we do, there's a couple of practices that I just want to encourage you in that particularly focus on as being people who are responsive to the Spirit that in the way that Paul talked about in Galatians. So the first practice is to pray um, a particular verse or verses from Psalm 139 from David. And he says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Pray that. Listen to the Holy Spirit. See what he might be um, showing you. And let's be people who are responsive to that. And the second practice is this. Think of someone that you trust and who knows you well and you know will have an honest conversation with you. With you. Ask them how they experience you. Be brave enough to invite feedback. Be curious enough to respond openly as we seek to discover those things that we may be blind to. So, like I said, we're going to take communion. I'll hand over to you, John, and then and we'll respond. Awesome. Thank you, Em. Um, so we want to do this together because we're talking about stuff not getting in the way of uh, us together. So... Um, while these guys finish...